You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. My name is Matt Walsh, joined by Jake Michaels. Jake, how are you going uh, in ISO as we count down to finals and count down to Victorian restrictions being lifted in metropolitan Melbourne? <laughs> yes, I was going to say, looking forward to the uh, to the latter more, I think. Uh, <laughs> but, but going pretty well. Uh, that's not to say I'm not looking forward to footy finals, but it's been a, it's been a pretty rough six months, I'd say. That's it. Well, Neil Seawang, you're in regional Victoria where restrictions are easing somewhat uh, this week. You must be feeling pretty pretty good about, about things and being able to go to a cafe or, or get a beer at the pub. Yeah, I sure am. We, so about an hour ago, I think the news came through that the restrictions were about to lift somewhat. So it's been a long time since I've been in a, at the pub or been to a cafe and actually been able to actually sit in there. So yeah, it's a new, it's a, it's a brave new world out there at the moment. It's it's very refreshing to think that that's coming along pretty soon. Yeah, we're we're getting there. Springs in the air. Christian Jolly from Champion Data. Footies, footy finals are around the corner. Restrictions are starting to lift. Uh, it's it's a beautiful time of the year. It is uh, looking forward to everything. Yeah, moving forward. Well, we almost didn't have a season really. If you remember back to mm. March, guys, we um, I think even we ran a poll at some point in one of our. Collins and just said, do we just can it for 2020 and, and resume hostilities in 2021? But the AFL has done a pretty good job in, uh, in getting the season up and about. And, and here we are at round 18, the last round of the season. Um, and it's funny because with all that sort of stuff that happened earlier in the year and all the discussion about whether a season would actually get away, now things are back in normal terms. We're, we're talking about trade targets and free agency and who's making finals and who the flag favourite is. And I think it's just, it's just wonderful that we actually did get a season away because it could have been so much worse off and, and uh, the world could have been so much darker without footy. But anyway, let's get into the real stuff. Let's stop talking about uh, COVID. Guys, something that caught your attention from the weekend that we might have otherwise missed. Uh, Jake, you look like you've got something to say down there in my little corner on Zoom. Well, I'm going to go right back to the first game of uh, round 17 and three-quarter time, West Coast really in trouble. And look, it wasn't something that we probably even missed. It's been spoken about a little bit. But the way some of their leaders stood up in that game, missing so many players, particularly through the midfield, um, I was really impressed with the likes of um, Andrew Gaff, Tim Kelly, uh, Josh Kennedy played a really good last quarter, Nick Natanui. They all really stood up, all their... All their uh, all their top liners, all their experienced players really stood up and said, we need to win this game and got over the line. And it was a really impressive win, uh, really impressive last quarter to get over St Kilda because they had all the running, particularly with the, they kicked a couple of really quick goals in the last quarter. And um, the Eagles looked dead and buried, but they came back and found a way to win. And it bodes really well for their finals campaign to, to get a win um, because they've been struggling in Queensland. And not only that, they've been struggling with uh, out some key personnel. So I think that was a really, really big win um, and not to be underrated that one. I think you're right. The mental aspect of the sort of the weight off the shoulders about winning a game in Queensland against a decent opposition. Yeah. No, they played well, St Kilda, for the most part. Absolutely. Christian, uh, something that caught your attention that we might otherwise not get to speak about? Um, so obviously I love a player that knows the value of a good stat and uh, he had an interest, interesting interaction on the weekend. There was a free kick paid after a goal in the Brisbane-Sydney game, um, which was played up in Cairns and I was doing a bit of a different role where we're actually hooked into the umpire's audio. Uh, we usually have someone at the venue doing that, but obviously limited in the number of staff we can get to Cairns at, 
this time of the week. So I was actually sitting at home listening to the umpires, just double checking what it was a mark, free kick, touch, things like that. So I could hear the interaction. And because it was paid after the goal, um, I think Sydney had kicked the goal, but it was paid to Brisbane in the middle of the ground. So the umpire was gathering the centre bounce players and saying, well, when the light comes on or when the 45 seconds is done, the free kick is going to go to the Ruckman. So nominate your Ruckman and whoever it is can take the free kick. And I can't see anything on the vision, but I can hear, okay, so you're the Ruckman. Yep, okay, you're the Ruckman, you're the Ruckman. And ball comes back to the centre and there's Lockie Neal standing there holding the ball in the centre of the circle. So obviously, with you know, McInerney standing alongside. So obviously he was smart enough to realise, well, whoever we say is the Ruckman, he's going to get to take the kick. So uh, Lockie Neal gets another disposal added to the column and... Uh, yeah, one of the best at it in the comments. Well, he didn't have too That's many. Classic. Didn't have too many in that game, so he needed all the help he could get. <laughs> he's just he's just told the big owner to stand aside, son. his voice. He was sort of saying, "Are you? So you're the ruckman?" And you, you reply going, "Yep, I'm the ruckman." <laughs> one, of, one of the shortest guys in the team. <laughs> that Do is you guys angle. at Champion Data count um, ruck contests? In the stats column, because you could put like a kneel down for one. But that wouldn't count because obviously the, the stoppage never started. So that would, oh. wouldn't go down as one. But as a, that is a, a classic example of where he got a disposal, but he wouldn't have got the possession for that because I think that was paid to, I uh, can't remember who was thrown to the ground in the back line. But yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. That's, that's a good cool. story. That is, that is very good. That's, uh, that's some eagle eyed observation. That is. Neil, uh, anything to add from your point of view? Yeah, we won't get a chance, I don't think, to speak about this one in depth, but I think I saw the worst performance of the season. Oh, um, here we go. And it wasn't from a team or a player. It was from a coach in a press conference after a game. John Walsfold distancing, distancing himself from the club that he represents, talking about them and they, about Essendon people. I'd be so filthy if I was an Essendon supporter, hearing him just talk about them. And he's pretty much seems like he's already checked out and doesn't consider himself... Um, an Essendon representative, which is massively disappointing, and it's and I'm sure it grated all the red and the red and black faithful out there. Mm, well, Ben Rutten is set to take over next season, but uh, you're right with one game still to go. You're speaking like that. Very interesting times at the Bombers, that is for sure. Mm. Uh, something that I noticed, I can't quite believe how it just it hasn't got the attention that I think it deserved. But um, speaking of the Bombers, they played the Power, uh, and Charlie Dixon took an amazing mark in the goal square. And the first thing I thought of when I saw that live was that's an Odell Beckham Jr. type catch. The one where it has been plastered all over highlights, um, like SportsCenter Top 10 is a, is a poster for the NFL and how it's one of the greatest catches of all time. Charlie Dixon's done the same thing without a glove. And the commentary is just kind of like, yeah, what a mark by Charlie Dixon. He's taken a great mark and he'll, he'll go back and line up for goal. And I'm here thinking that's one of the marks of the year, surely. <laughs> Yeah, it was a cracking mark. And I, I, I couldn't believe how, I guess, subtle. It's, it's rare that commentary goes the other way instead of going over the yeah. top about a standard goal or a standard mark being, oh, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It's unusual to go the other way. So maybe we should actually take our hats off and say, thank you for understating something finally. It was, it was an extraordinary grab. And if, if you'd show that to a, an NFL fan in America, they would be blown away by that. The fact that it's... Probably a slipperier ball than a pigskin. He's done it without a glove. He's a he's a big man, and um, he's just it's that's one of the greatest marks I've seen this year. I reckon Charlie Dixon. I mean, I haven't measured measured this, but I reckon Charlie Dixon has the biggest hands of any yep. player in the league. Yeah, I don't yeah, reckon. He just have you ever seen him pick a pick the ball up in one hand? It looks like he can just crush it in his hand. 
Yeah, it's we, we in our in our role, Jake and Matt, we we often cut photos from Getty Images to to use on site. I reckon there's been a couple of times when I've cut a photo with Charlie Dixon about to kick the ball or marking the ball. It looks like his whole hand envelops the ball. Yeah, yeah. It's, so um, what we're saying is it wasn't that impressive. <laughs> no, no it wasn't. Maybe they were <laughs> No, it was. It was. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's get into the real stuff, though. We did mention that finals are around the corner, but uh, for half the competition and half the competition's fans, uh, the attention isn't going to really be on the, well, I was going to say September action, but the late September, early October action, because they're probably more worried about what's going to happen at the draft and at the free agency table and the trade table. Um, and because COVID threw up a few curveballs in terms of contract negotiations, they had to be put on hold for a while. Um, it's given players, managers, clubs a bit of extra time to think about the future of, of, of themselves and, and their, their teams. Uh, and there are a few names that we want to sort of zero in on uh, for, the, for this next part of the discussion. Because, and a few of these names have come up a few times. But we want to discuss, I guess, what their prospects are, whether they're going to stay or whether they should go, uh, where they need to improve or where they're, they're, they'll be sort of best suited to a club if, if, if a club has a glaring need that can be filled by one of these players. And I want to kick us off, Neil, uh, Brad Crouch at the Crows. There was a lot of talk earlier in the year, as recent as a couple of weeks ago before they started winning, funnily enough, that Crouch mm-hmm. would be on the way out. Uh, he's a restricted free agent at the end of this year. What are we thinking about his prospects for the uh, 2021 season? Yeah, he, he, he's a really interesting case because he tried hard to get out of his contract and join the Suns last year. Um, we all know what we're getting with Brad Crouch. He's a really fierce competitor on the inside. Um, he's you know, fantastic with clearances, first possessions. Um, he's, he's not really damaging by foot, but that's no slight on him. Every team needs one or two of these types of players. Um, so, to, yeah, it'll be super fascinating to see if he wants to leave Adelaide and whether the last three weeks with the Crows um, having, you know, really shown some signs of life, whether that will actually change his decision-making process. Um, but the beauty of free agency is if, if, if that player or that type of player is something that your club needs, you obviously don't need to give up any draft capital. So I'm thinking about clubs that really need maybe you know, one solid inside midfielder and they only need to give up salary rather than anything at the trade table. And I'm wondering whether Carlton, Essendon or even Richmond would help, would want someone like a Brad Crouch. Yeah, um, I, I think you, you nailed it. I mean, Carlton desperately need a player like Brad Crouch. I think Patrick, I mean, everyone knows how, how good Patrick Cripps can be. He's been a bit inconsistent this year. He's copped a lot of attention and he just needs help. You know, Sam Walsh is going to be a really good player. You know, he's already playing really well. but And he's and he's become a little bit more inside. He's, he's just spending a little bit more time. I'm sure Christian has the numbers that, you know, he's had a lot more centre bounces rather than on the wing. But um, I think the Blues just need another body that can be at the bottom of the pack feeding the ball out. Um, and Brad Crouch is the one. I think the Blues should be, should be really trying to get a player like Brad Crouch because they don't come around too often. That's interesting. Yeah, well, a little bit the opposite when it comes to Brad Crouch and Carlton, just because of the fact that exactly what Neil mentioned before, the one knock on Brad Crouch's game is, yeah, we've got him, again, looked at uh, his numbers for two seasons, last two seasons. The one area of the game that's poor is his kicking. So, again, he can win it on the inside and outside. He can, you know, get get it in the handball receives and he can win clearances and that. But his kicking's not great. And it's probably something that Carlton lack in the midfield. So, again, if you're going to... Bring someone in um, outside of the draft. Again, free agency we're probably talking about is going to become one of your top five, ten paid players uh, in your team. I think Carlton really need to look at someone that's 
you know, a lot more damaging by foot. Um, again, you, you might not be too, can't be too picky when it comes to, you know, who's available at that time of year. And, um, who but that's the thing. Who, who, who's, yeah. who are you going to get? Like maybe Zach Williams. He's yeah, a free agent. I would throw better foot skills. Someone that's yeah, shown that when he's a great kick of cross half back and the, 10 or 12 weeks he played in the midfield for GWS at the second half of last season, he still remained an elite kick for his position. So playing, you know, sort of an inside midfielder. So again, um, Brad Crouch yeah, would be a huge get for whoever gets him. And again, would, would be handy at Carlton. But again, if you're in an ideal scenario and you can only spend your money one way, I'd be valuing kicking a little bit higher at Carlton at this stage because we've got, yeah, Patrick Cripps, Sam Walsh, uh, Will Setterfield. I think those three are really, really good you know, ball hunters inside midfielders. Uh, Sam Walsh can obviously get around the ground and get on the outside, and he's, you know, a, a pretty good kick, but the other two are probably mainly more inside. So you need someone more complementary to those two that you've already got. Could the Suns have another crack at him? I mean, he, he seems like the sort of player, a uh, mature, hard-edged midfielder that can help out um, blokes like Raul and Anderson uh, as they sort of make their AFL journey to the, to the next level. I mean, could the Suns have another go at him? Well, he would, you know, he'd be, he's another player, like, you know, probably a you know, step up, but Someone like Hugh Greenwood's gone there and played really well. Uh, Brandon Ellis. I mean, he's another one of those um, middle-aged guys that can go into the and, and slot into the midfield and just be more depth. I think, um, yeah. I mean, I, I again, if if you're not having to give up anything to get him, mm. you'd be you'd be mad not to not to look into it. Especially a team like Gold Coast. Who, but but as you say, you know, Gold Coast's going to get a few players back through the midfield as well. Mm. Do they need him now? They have those similar types, I reckon. They- I mean the green the Greenwood um, um, trade of last year. They gave up very little to him. They've got Swallow, Tuke Miller. They've got quite a few of those slower, uh, less damaging, but you know, strong inside um, players. So I'm wondering whether the Suns have already sort of developed past the point of needing a, a player like Brad Crouch. The other the other team you mentioned was the Bombers. I, I tend to think the Bombers probably fit that category too. In terms of, I think they've probably got enough in their midfield at the moment now, similar type players. I think McGrath is going to be a really, really good inside player. Um, uh, Dylan Shield, uh, Merritt and Devin Smith, um, Dyson Heffel. I think they've got, I think, I think they've got enough um, kind of, kind of midfield, inside midfield uh, talent, the Bombers. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I just feel Carlton is the, is the, is the team for him, but and that's just not me saying that as a Carlton supporter, but I, I just think Carlton, that's that's the biggest weakness of the Blues at the moment. And I get what you guys are saying. Like, we need we need players that have elite foot skills. But let's be honest, how many players do have elite foot skills and how many of them can you get for nothing? Well, it depends. If the Crows decide to match any bid, uh, they might be needed to draw into the trade table as well, uh, obviously, as a restricted free agent. Another restricted free agent... Uh, Big name to have not signed at this time of the year is Jeremy Cameron from the GWS Giants. Neil, uh, can you see him leaving the Giants after yeah. all they've done for him and he's done for them? He's kind of they've got a galaxy of stars at their club, and he's almost been the face of it. Though he seems to be the one that you think about the Giants, you think about him, maybe him and Toby Green. But you know, it's mad to think that you know this time last year he was you know on the way on the track to to winning the Coleman and. Yeah, probably considered the most valuable um, forward in the game. You know, he, he's been poor this year. He probably personifies the Giants. You know, being a couple of couple of gears lower than they than they should be this year. Will he stay or will he go? Well, any free agent that's not signed up at this stage of the year, mate, would, would make you a little bit 
concerned every day that passes without his signature on the paper would make you concerned. Seems like that the odds are that he will stay, but yeah, as I said, every, every day that he doesn't sign is, is one that, you know, other clubs would be licking their lips at, you know, the possibility of, of, of grabbing him because he's, he's 27. He's still got a lot of footy in him. Jake, if, if a club offers him $1.2 million a year, is the cap squeeze a GWS? Do they, do they look at that and say, we can't match that? Uh, potentially. I mean, we've seen the Giants have to, have to move off players, talented players, because of that reason. So, I mean, it's going to be an issue for them. Um, obviously, Cameron hasn't had a great year, but I am surprised with how high he's playing up the ground. I don't know why he's playing so far up. He, he spends... There's a lot of time he's on the wing and he's getting the ball at half back. And I know it's good. You want your key forwards to be able to push up the ground more, but it's too much. Like you need to isolate him in the 50. You need him to be the deepest, deepest player at least 60% of the time. And it's rare. It's rare. I mean, we all know how good Toby Green can be. And, and it's, you know, he's another one you want to isolate, but I think Cameron's the one because he can do it on the lead. He can do it at ground level. He's very, we, we've spoken about this before, but he's just about the only key forward that is, you know, an A grader in the air, on the lead and at ground level. He, he does it all, but he's not really getting the opportunity to do it. So I don't think he's lost any of his ability. I just think he's, the way they're playing at the moment, the Giants, it's not really suiting the way he probably wants to play uh, or the way he plays best. So um, if he's thinking of, of leaving the club, I mean... There's 17 other clubs that, that I don't care who you are. Everyone wants a Jeremy Cameron in their side. The, the numbers support exactly what you're saying. So we know GWS, they're obviously down there. They're bottom three for inside 50s per game. So the ball's not getting down there. We know how damaging they are once it gets in there, but they're not getting high volume. So looking at Cameron and where he's won his disposal. So last year, 50% were won in the forward 50, 36% attacking midfield. So that's 86% in the forward half, 12% behind centre. This year, it's down to 37% in the forward 50, 36% in the attacking midfield, 23% defensive midfield, and 4% backline. So, you know, 20, more than a quarter of your disposals this year have been in the defensive half of the ground. Um, and again, but he's still, as a forward 50 target, him and Finlayson and Himmelberg, they're always in the top 10 for when the Giants choose which one they're going to go to. And the team usually scores, you know, 50, 60% of the time. We, we sort of covered that in one of the earlier pods about forward 50 target so they have a great sort of connection between the three of them um but this year exactly just ews's ball movement from defensive 50 hasn't been great and they're not getting high volume inside 50 so all forwards suffering but i think again you just jeremy cameron again i don't know how much they can afford but you resign him as quickly as possible because i think as we sort of said earlier midfielders are probably a bit easier to get than blokes like jeremy cameron that you know yeah. keep forwards that can last year average over three goals a game um Again, they just got to get their get their inside fifties up, and you know. that's the thing. We were talking about this guy kicking a hundred goals like fourteen months ago. You know, we talked about him kicking a hundred in a season, and now it's like, oh, he's had a bad. Yeah, he's had a bad year by his by his standards from last year, and what we know he can do. But as you say, I mean, they'd be crazy not to lock him up. He's their most important player, I think. You know, him and Toby Green. But yeah, the key forwards they don't come around often, especially mm. A graders like him. And if he does leave, it, it seems like Geelong are, are going the hardest to, to get him. Can you imagine him and, and Tomahawk in that forward line, you know, for the next four or five years? Um, probably one of Geelong's few weaknesses, having that second tall forward alongside Hawkins. And, uh, yeah, put Cameron in that team. And I think they've got three first-round draft picks this year. 
Um, thanks to the Tim Kelly trade. Uh, yeah, if that happens, look out. The Cats might be up for a long, long time. I'd love to look at the Cats books because, geez, they just <laughs> have a go at everyone, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> they're amazing. They, um, they, uh, they're incredible. Next you, reckon, one, you reckon it's a bit Melbourne Stormish? <laughs> <laughs> bit um, in the the 90s-ish. <laughs> <laughs> Brown paper bag. All right, uh, next on the list, uh, Adam Saad. Not out of contract, but out of favour, it would seem, at the Bombers. Jeez, uh, I tell He's you out of contract. Oh, he's out of contract. My apologies. Yes, not a free uh, agent. sorry. Apologies. He's yeah. not a free agent. Yes, uh, need, they obviously probably need to re-sign him. I would have thought because Con McKenna's now on a plane back to Ireland. Uh, so the dash off half back that, that Essendon was kind of famed for that run and gun kind of slingshot move um, that everyone sort of that was the kind of their trademark for a while. It, it's at risk of falling completely apart. He's yeah. a good player. He's a really good player. Um, He's still 26. I know um, Essendon have got a long-term deal in front of him, but for some reason he's not signing. Mm. Um, and as we, we spoke about with Cameron, the longer someone doesn't actually sign, the more nervous you get um, as a supporter base. So, yeah, you wonder what, what is causing him to hold it off. Does he want more money? Does he want more security on a, you know, an extra year? Or is he just unhappy at Essendon? But, geez, any club that's looking for a bit of dash, you know, we talked about Zach Williams before and how much he would be... Um, appeal as a free agent as someone that can kick the ball really well and mm. move the ball you know with real aggression um from the back line they'd be mad not to be uh, having to work with his manager because he is he's a damaging defender he's a really good player and yeah Adam Saad's always been underrated for me in terms of whenever you look at the defensive side of his game so pressure for a, de- a general defender and also his what we call defensive rating so if he plays 40 or 50 minutes on somebody he usually beats him. And last year, he was one of the top five general defenders for defensive rating. He kept Charlie Cameron goals, Eddie Betts goals, and, you know, while getting those, you know, 10, 15 touches and 300, 400 metres game that he does. So, um, yeah, always been underrated to me because he is sort of that complete general defender. He can defend when he needs to, but again, his ball use and ability to set up scores from the defensive half is, uh, um, you know, always seen as the greatest strength of his game, but the defensive stuff's there as well. Obviously, a lot of clubs would be interested in him, but you know, where do we think he kind of fits? You know, where, where, which club would be desperate for a player like that? Is he another piece that could fall into St Kilda's backline really well and, and provide them another angle uh, out of defence? I mean, I know that can they, they got, sign another big like, name? Yeah, you know, I feel like they got a, a fair bit, um, a fair few younger younger guys. Oh, well, I was about to say Caulfield and um, Hunter Clark are doing that at the moment, but can you have enough of those blokes that can he can even play on a, on a wing or play one of those kids on the wing? I don't know. The Saints. I'd love uh, him at Melbourne. The, I think Melbourne's team, lacking yeah. a little bit of dash. You know, Neville you Jetta these... is a different type of defender, but he's coming to the end of his career, and we Melbourne probably doesn't have that small defender that can really run and carry. So, mm. I'd love the D's to be in with. Yeah, you, you sort of look at those teams around that that eighth to to eleventh, and, and you think how they can get better, and, and obviously mm-hmm. I wouldn't maybe Carlton as well if uh, Kate Simpson's retiring. If if the rumours are true about that. And then there's West Coast as well. I mean, they've had someone like Lewis Jetta who they've played in the, they wanted to be the ball carrier across half back and he sort of lost his place in the side for a lot of the season. Um, but again, you put Saad in there just as that, you know, they're looking for another running defender. But again, he can play those sort of lockdown roles that you've got, you know, that Tom Cole and Liam Duggan have played as well and maybe get them into the midfield a little bit more. Um, but again, yeah, just with this signing at Tim Kelly last year, I don't know how many you know more players they can bring in, uh, how much uh, Adam Starr will command per year. Mm. Interesting times. In a word, where's he going, Neil? Is he staying or is he going? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> t- toss of the coin. I'd, I'd say he's, 
leaving. Oh no, that was the longest pause ever. And we, you know, in <laughs> podcast land, that was probably not the the best listener experience. But well, toss for a coin. I'll, I'll I'll say he'll he'll leave just because he's not signed as yet. Fair enough. Uh, all right, let's move on. Next big name. Speaking of big names and big full forwards, Ben Brown. Uh, oh, jeez. Clubs surely would be circling for a bloke who has kicked 60 goals, and obviously not this year, but has kicked 60 goals in his previous three seasons. Knows where the big sticks are, kicks accurately, is out of contract and hasn't signed with North, Jake. Ben Brown doesn't get the credit he deserves. Uh, I think we've spoken about this in the past. Over the last three or four seasons, he's been, you know, you can make the case he's been the best key forward as of, in a four-year period. Um, obviously, this year he's had his injury troubles, but... Um, he just doesn't, no one puts him in the same category as the top, the other kind of three, four, five guys. Um, I think North desperately need him to stay, um, clearly. But, you know, if he wants to go elsewhere, there's going to be other, there's going to be plenty of club. Again, like Jeremy Cameron, who doesn't want a player that can kick 60 goals in a season? You know, he's, he's a different player to Jeremy Cameron. He's more of a mark set shot kicker goal. He's not going to do a lot of his work at ground level. But he um, he's a generally a pretty reliable kick for goal, um, and yeah, he he he's a player that a lot of clubs need. Maybe maybe it's a player that the Bombers could go for. You know, we don't know what's happening with Joe Danaher. Do they have a key forward going going forward? Um, you know, I think there's plenty of clubs that that'd be out there interested in him. Christian, is he a player that sort of suffers from the fact that um, a lot of clubs are pushing a lot of players into the defensive 50 and he's not getting the room to lead into uh into into space and take these grabs in and have a shot at goal yeah so <clears throat> he's always been that's that's the biggest thing with him he's always been out on a lead type player um not great again stationary one-on-one so looking you know when he the ball's kicked to him and he's sort of in a wrestle he's marked i think he's down at five percent mark win rate across the last two years which is 48 for the top 50 one-on-one targets you know he's down there with guys like Tom Papley and uh, blokes that can sort of win at a ground level as well because, you know, because they're just, um, you know, being not not trying to win it so much over their head. But Ben Brown, exactly, he's for a forward line. You need someone that's going to be able to sort of take those those pack marks for you and hopefully free Ben Brown up to sort of get out on the lead and get that space 30, 40 metres out in front of goal. Mm. Let's look at one of Ben Brown's better years. I thought one of the most underrated players for his career was Jared Waite when they had both of them in the forward line because Jared Waite can sort of, did sort of crash those packs and take those big overhead marks and it sort of created chaos in that forward line that Brown was able to sort of get. Um, you know, if he was one-on-one, he was sort of able to get that space either side of him to lead into or run back into. Um, and a lot like sort of Adelaide's good forward line of Taylor Walker and Josh Jenkins. Taylor Walker was the same. He'd draw the packs, he'd sort of crash packs and everyone sort of, you know, was big on Josh Jenkins getting goals out the back, but that's how he worked the best in the space around him that was created. So again, with Ben Brown, well, uh, could Cam Zerha be that type of player? I don't think he's tall enough, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think you know, Nick Jack Siebel played down there next to him last year. They're, they're great overhead, but I don't think they're big enough to create you know three or four defenders all going up, you know, for the one ball sort of you know crashing the pack in the middle of you know the hot spot as they call it. So. Again, you mentioned Jeremy Cameron to Geelong, but imagine Ben Brown and Tom Hawkins might be able to figure out a pretty uh, handy forward line if you know Tom Hawkins is the one that's... Have them all. Just have them all. Hawkins, Cameron, <laughs> Brown. <laughs> I, 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 every year it seems to be. Geelong's just the club that every player gets linked to, and whether that's good for the their managers or not, just say, oh, we'll just say he's going to Geelong. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Good I think they're dealing with Luke Bruce at the moment as well. Yeah, the late the late two thousands it used to be Hawthorne. Everyone was just linked with Hawthorne. <laughs> People just want to follow success. But, um, yeah, Ben Brown is sort of yeah, a, a club that can sort of turn him into a secondary key forward. We'll probably get another yeah, 40, 50 goals out of him. So I I disagree with Jake that North has to keep him. I reckon if North are going to go full rebuild, they might be able to maximise his value now. They might be able to get a mid-first-round pick or something similar. And I really like Larky and Zerha um, as, as potential key forwards at North. And I reckon there's two clubs that are in the window because you're not going to, you're not going to go for a 27-year-old key forward if you're down the bottom, are you? You want someone, you're going to be a club that's in, in the premiership window. So I reckon Brisbane or Collingwood might be a good fit. They've both got really powerful midfields. Um, so they should actually be able to deliver it to him because he's such a lead mark player that they actually might be able to hit a target as opposed to what North dished up um, earlier this year. Uh, and I can see him working really well at, at both of those clubs. You know, they're both going to have probably picks 15 to 18 by the end of the year at, in, in their first round. Might, Bris- might be Brisbane's, a, Brisbane's a good call. I, I think he would suit Brisbane because they, they play... So, so fast, and the fast. time they get the ball into that 50, as Christian yeah. said, it's not all clogged up. He's got mm. space to work in, and he does. He takes his marks on the lead. He, he, he's, he's a hard runner. I think he, he's one of the hardest runners in the game, particularly for a key forward. And he gets up and back, and he, he's a great leader. He gets in terms of leading patterns and stuff, and he, and he can take those marks, and he kicks the goals. I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him at the Lions, him he, and Hipwood. He would also be an upgrade on, on Mason Cox. No disrespect to the lanky Yankee who had a, a night out on the weekend. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think you can maximise your value for him. And, and you, you, if you've got kids waiting in the wings, your, your Larkies, your Tristan, Tristan Zeris, your, um, uh, as you say, Cam Zerha, even, even a club like Fremantle, who's probably a couple of years ahead of North, could probably look at having him. I know that Matt Tabin has had a really good year, but he's injury-prone and hasn't been as consistent. Plonking him in that forward line, maybe that adds another dimension to to Fremantle and their Dow defence and running out of defence the way that they do as well. So there are options there for North Melbourne and for Ben Brown, for sure. Uh, any, other, any other names, guys? I know that we talked about um, the free agents and obviously those that are out of contract, but is there any other name that you can sort of think of before we move on that might be worth taking a look at as a trade target before we move on? Well, Jaden Stevenson was a name that I think you mentioned before. Um, yes. Obviously out of favour at the Pies. What's going to happen with young Jay? He's a hot commodity, surely. And now that Tom Papley is apparently staying at the Swans, as Sydney would like uh, a lot of other clubs to believe, he might be the hottest small forward on the market at the moment. He's got enormous talent. He's fallen away this year, hasn't he? But he he just manages to get separation and, and, you know, he finds a way to kick goals. Um, He's not a guy that's going to rack up possessions, but he's sort of the guy that can, you know, he might touch the ball eight times and kick, kick three goals and set up three himself. So yeah. I don't know why he's fallen out of favour this year. I don't know whether it's anything off the field or, you know, whether the Pies have too many of the same sort of crafty, quick half forwards. I don't know. I mean, there, there are a few names of, of players that are out of favour at their clubs that are obviously worth looking at. I mean, you, you look at um, Alex Witherden at the Lions, can't get a consistent game. Stevenson, we've mentioned. Fantasia maybe going back home. So the next few weeks are going to be very, very interesting to see whether these players are talk to their managers and see if there's any, any interest from Geelong, so to speak. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's go to our next discussion topic. And we should talk about finals because they are around the corner. Neil, as a D supporter, you've probably been yeah. frantically looking at the ladder predictor a bit closer than uh, everyone else has. 
can we see the D's who are currently ninth jumping in or is the top eight set and we're just going to see a bit of rearranging in this final round? Uh, I think, first of all, I think Melbourne supporters um, brace themselves for heartbreak and, and disappointment. So I'm assuming Melbourne will miss out on percentage by 0.0001%, <laughs> like, like, like the Demons did a couple of years ago when they lost out on the eighth spot. Um, I think, yeah, I was playing around with the ladder predictor. I think Melbourne to get in need the doggies to lose to Frio, which is probably unlikely, even though, you know, Fremantle playing pretty good footy. I think the big chance for Melbourne will be if the Giants beat St Kilda, because um, the Giants can still get in too if they win heavily. And then Melbourne need to beat Essendon by, I think the total points turnaround for those two games needs to be about sort of 50 or 60 points. So let's say the Giants beat um, St Kilda by 40, then a Melbourne, Melbourne win by 20. And I think Melbourne can sneak in. But I think, I think the fact that Melbourne lost to Fremantle and, and Sydney in the two games that should have set up their finals campaign, they lost both. I think that'll, that'll come back and cost them a finals worth. Christian, you're the stats boffin. Do we know where the threshold is for the Ds to, to jump into the eight? Yeah, so it's always a tricky question each year. We always get it. What, what's the score needed to be to, for the percentage to change? It's just like, well, there's just so many variables. <laughs> but So we try to come up with an easy one. So if you're watching those two games, so if GWS beats Melbourne, uh, sorry, GWS beats St Kilda 74 to 50, Melbourne would have to beat uh, Essendon 74 to 50. And that would be enough just to get them 0.1% above St. <laughs> so a 24-point loss to the Saints and a 24-point win to the Ds. What um, it's, now, it's not an outrageous exact... ask. Well, Correct. That's why we sort of picked those two numbers. I mean, that's something to work with, you know. So, you know, using that as a baseline is probably a good sort of um, gauge of, you know, of, of what's needed for Melbourne to get that sort of percentage swing. Hey, Christian, what happens if Melbourne and St Kilda finish with exactly the same points and exactly the same percentage? Um, I should know this because we were actually talking about it just before. Oh, it was probably one of the last conversations we had when we had a functioning office back in March. Um, yeah, Does it go on result in the game that you play? Sorry? Um, Does it go on head-to-head result? That wasn't the first tiebreaker. Uh, might be points four was the tiebreaker. Um, I reckon the Saints would be above Melbourne without having the ladder in front of me. Yeah, usually. Uh, so at the moment they would be. That'd be a real Melbourne way of missing out. <laughs> they finished exactly the same and missed that on point points four. Yeah, the Saints have got yeah, <laughs> yeah. 112 more points at the moment. So well, if Melbourne beat Essendon by yeah, 200 points, I can't chase it up at the moment. But I should get back to you because it was something we were discussing. And we were surprised that head to head was about the third tiebreaker, which was surprising. You think that'd be the um, obvious tiebreaker? Uh, I think the final one was yeah, toss of the coin. Was it about <laughs> sixth or seventh tiebreaker if we ever got to that, that far down? Well, <laughs> if if then guys, we are expecting the ladder to sort of stay the same. Maybe a bit of shuffling in the lower reaches. I mean, outside of the top five, where you look at Port, Brisbane, Richmond, uh, and West Coast, uh, Port, Brisbane, Richmond, West Coast, and Geelong. Uh, who do we see as the big challengers? The bit of a smoky that can make an impact in finals, Jake. Uh, I think probably we might all be kind of on the same team here, uh, but probably the dogs. Um, I want to say Collingwood, but I just don't feel like the pies are scoring enough. Um, I think we'll touch on them a little bit later, but probably the dogs. I mean, they've got that, they've got this midfield that is just so dynamic and so quick. Um, McRae, Bontempalli, Hunter, Libertore, Bailey Smith's had an outstanding year. I reckon it's the kind of midfield that will... It's the, the kind of team, because of that midfield, that a lot of teams, a lot of other finals won't want to be coming up against. Um, particularly if they have a big win 
um, in round 18 and headed to the finals in four. They've been really impressive. And, um, you know, the, Aaron Norton's the kind of guy that can just will just have a great half or a great game in a final. I uh, wouldn't be surprised and kick four or five goals. He's that kind of player when he's on. He's unbelievable. Um, I reckon the doggies. The way I've done the ladder predictor, I've got them playing St Kilda, and I think I'd back the dogs who have finals experience and big finals experience in that case. So that you might be right. They, they might be able to jag one. Um, they might be able to jag one there. But, I mean, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago on the podcast that Collingwood are ticking all the metrics for, for winning a flag, and, and they're sort of in that lower half of the eight. Um, you know, all they can do is keep winning, and they, they won uh, on the weekend, and they play Port Adelaide, I know, uh, this coming week, and may end up eighth on the ladder. So they might have to go the long way and... and and play West Coast in the first week. But do we think they can do it, Christian? So, yeah, Collingwood's the one for me still because I look at, again, they haven't played Port Adelaide yet. Uh, when they played West Coast, they got done 45 to 111, so they got smashed uh, over at Optus Stadium. Um, but there are other three games against the teams that we're sort of talking about. Geelong, they beat, you know, and they conceded 35 points to Geelong. They drew with Richmond, conceding 36 points, and they lost to Brisbane the other night, but they only conceded 42 points to Brisbane. So, again, we know... Collingwood's defence, it can get you on any given day. So, again, I could see them, um, you know, winning three finals purely by strangling the opposition and just stopping scoring. I know, we, we, you know, we talked about they can't score, but how different do they look with Jordan Dugowie in the side and sort of mentioned it pre-pod. He had 10 touches last night, I think seven shots at goal and a score assist. So, eight of those are directly, you know, greater goals or, you know, setting up goals. So, he's the one if he can stay fit, but... Yeah, it's Collingwood for me just because they, they have that system that we know that it has troubled those uh, top sides this season. Neil, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're the two obvious sides, aren't they? I'm probably leaning towards Collingwood just because of their defence. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of finals are won through defence. Um, and it looks like, you know, they've still got amazing names on paper through the midfield. Um, you know, Sidebottom will probably come in um, later in the year. So... Uh, yeah, I think the Pies can win a couple of finals, um, but it does look like it's you know those top couple of teams that are that are the legitimate premiership threats. Just For quickly, sure. what about Port? Like, is it, are we talking about Port enough? Do we Maybe think not. Port? Do we think Port is a top three side? I, I think I yes and no. So I think yes, they are a top <laughs> three side, and no, we're not talking about them enough. I've been you know, and it's been brought up by I think. A, bit of the SA media that they don't get enough respect. Ports play in the top of footy. They they play scoring footy. They You know, they lock the ball in their forward half. They're not too defensive. They're pretty attacking once they do get the ball. Um, you know, one of the high... They're high up there for kicking forward and sort of, you know, getting the ball moving, which is, you know, the part of the game we love. And they're one of the highest scoring teams. So um, I've got a, love for, a, a lot of love for Port and I don't think they are getting enough sort of... Um... I can't remember a team that's a, a top team, you know, no one having spoken about it pretty much all year. And they've been top yeah, since fair. round one, I'm pretty yes. sure. So they could go through, if they, yeah, if they win and stay on top, they would have been on top every single round. <laughs> How is it possible to fly under the radar being <laughs> top of the ladder all year? <laughs> well, that's a question we might have to ask. <laughs> yet, yet, yet if you ask most people, they would say that they're three, the three teams to win the flag are probably... Richmond, West Coast, Geelong. I don't know. A lot of people aren't putting Port. Or even Brisbane up in you know the final series in Queensland. I think think Port might even be third or fourth on the betting line. So they're not even favourites with the bookies. So uh, we'll keep an eye on them, obviously, as weeks go on. Neil, uh, do we we like the message that dropping a captain sent? Is is that something that I think is 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 that something you think, pardon, that is beneficial for a club to sometimes do? Look, I'm not as against this as a lot of 
you know, a lot of the reaction in the traditional media and social media was it was a horrible decision and, you know, you're embarrassing Cornelio and it might force him out of the club. But you've got to pick the best 22, don't you? Like, you, I know he's the captain and a lot of, you know, a lot of his reaction we, we, we won't know because it's all behind closed doors. So there's the cultural element of does it upset a few people behind the scenes? But I, I think he had, you know, Leon Cameron was facing a must-win game. Uh, Cornelio has been, you know, hot and cold all year. And I think he's had to select his best 22 and he wasn't in it. So, you know, tough cookies. Get on with it. And the message, the message isn't to Cornelio. The message is to the whole team. It's like, if you're not playing well, don't expect to get a game every single week. Yeah. You're just not getting a game every week. It's as simple as that. And if, he's, if, if Cornelio can be dropped, then anyone can be dropped. And... You know, good on them for doing it because you, no one should, no one, doesn't matter who you are, if you're playing crap consistently, and he was, let's be honest, he's been playing really poor, um, you should be dropped. Why should you be exempt from being dropped just because you're the captain? And it's such a fine line, isn't it? Like, you know, the GWS lost to Melbourne by under a goal, you know, so mm-hmm. it was a toss of the coin game. If they win, everyone's like, oh, great decision, Leon really sparked the team into action. And because they lost by, you know, one kick, all of a sudden, everyone's questioning it. So, yeah, I didn't quite understand the outrage myself. Quick question to follow up, Neil. Um, I know we talked about the Bombers last week and, and whether they were the most disappointing team that we've seen all year, but GWS would be close to being second, surely. Yeah, the golf between... Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, mate. Um, yeah, well, absolutely. I think they're probably the two teams that you, you, the, the golf between where you expect them to be and where they're going to finish up is is probably the biggest gap of, of any team this year. So I know Leon Cameron just signed signed his extension for next year, but geez, a lot of pressure on him to, to get that team up and running next season. Yeah, absolutely. Big off-field, um, big off-season ahead as well, obviously, with um, the fact that the cap squeeze and, and, and players coming in and out, they needed to make some moves, that's for sure. Uh, Jake, I know that, well, we've got finals around the corner, so we're going to be focusing on those games, players, and all those sort of storylines quickly. But... We've had a, a weird season, to say the least, um, and we've questioned at times the umpiring this season. Let's take stock now for a second, just sort of say, which are the rules that probably need the most attention during the off-season? Oh, God. Uh, you got a rule book? <laughs> yes. How long have we got the as well? The PDF is in my downloads folder, yes. Uh, we should have started with this because I feel like we could talk about it for a while. And again, like we, we always say, you know, we don't like having a shot at the umpires, but... Uh, and, and a lot of times it's not the umpire's fault. It's what they're being sort of told to do. Yeah, so, I was happy to tweak the rules all the time. So we're just going to give yeah. them a little leg up here. So for me, there's a lot. But for me, the, the rule that I've been noticing um, the last few weeks, it's, it's really frustrating, is the advantage rule. When a team wins a free kick and a player on that team decides to take the advantage, uh, it, whether play on and, and start running off towards goal or take a shot, and they either get caught holding the ball, they turn it over, they miss the shot at goal, and the umpire says, no advantage, bring it back. Well, I'm sorry, but you took the, the you took, you played on. It doesn't have to be an advantage. You choose whether you want to take, whether you want to continue or not. You don't get the double chance of, oh, well, I kicked it, kicked it behind, so we'll bring it back and have another set shot. No, it doesn't work like that. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of players get feeling like, well, they can play on because if they, if they screw it up, it's just coming back anyway. If you take one step and play on and take that take that advantage, then you've taken it and then you don't come back. And I think the problem is because we call it advantage, 
the umpire seems to think, well, it has to be an advantage to the team. But no, it doesn't. If, if, the, if, the, kick, if the immediate kick's turned over, then so be it. You've turned the ball over. You had the opportunity to stop, but you didn't take that, and now you've suffered the consequence. So for me, would, that's the one that's really frustrating. How would you fix it? Would you, would you say if a player gets a hand pass from a contest, for instance, and then just puts their hands up and says, no, uh, we're stopping. That's the yeah, way to stop it. And yeah, if you don't do that, it's advantage. 100%, because we see that all the time. We see players do that all the time where, where you know, someone will, someone will ca- uh, catch someone holding the ball 30 metres out directly in front and a player will grab the ball and just, you know, say, stop, go and take the shot, kick the goal or whatever. It's not that hard to do. Players, look, let's be honest, players know when they're playing on. They know when they're trying to take that advantage. And they know there was one last night with Josh Dacos who, who – uh, the Pies won a free kick on the wing and he just took up the ball and took a couple of steps and got caught and they brought it back and it's like but he, he was off, he took the advantage so no, I think you've, you've, it's not hard to do players players know when they're taking it, I think it's a pretty easy one to just yeah. um, the, get out the, of the game. The, one, the ones for me are the ones where everyone stops except the player with the ball I mean how much of an advantage is too much of, a, of an advantage as well, I know that you know you probably but you play to the whistle, that's the thing that I, that I keep going back to and if Everyone stops, and it's just one player who keeps moving. I think the umpire needs to imply um, to uh, apply some common sense and say, "Fellas, I know that you wanted to take it, but let's bring it back." So I don't know. It's a hard. Obviously, it's a hard rule to uh, adjudicate, but there's probably room for improvement. That's for sure. One that I've noticed uh, before we get to you other guys, <laughs> the, the not fifteen rule is sort of it's been here and there throughout the season, and the people who I think are the best judge of this rule have been the players themselves over the last few weeks. I've noticed on many occasions throughout the weekend, just gone, that players will take possession of a ball and start playing on before an umpire has even had the chance to sort of say, not 15 play on or, or was too far away to hear it or whatever. And in, in other cases, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get caught out because the ball's been kicked about 20 metres and then they'll get called play on. So there's no consistency for me in the way that not 15 is being um, uh, applied to the rules and, and the the 15 meter rule is the one that for me that needs a bit of work. The 15 meter rule is tricky because it's, it's very hard to judge what 15 meters is. Um, and that's one that's never going to be, it's never going to be perfect. Um, there's going to be 14 meter kicks paid as marks and there's going to be 16 meter kicks, you know, told Three to play on. lines on the field, like in NFL, the one yard line and the, the two yeah. yard line. But you're never kicking. But the problem is like you, you know, I know, I know it's more of a joke, but like you, you just can't. Like people say, oh, you got to measure the, you know, it's it's ten meters the grass markings, but it's like they're never kicking directly straight across it. You're yeah. kicking, and the way the umpire is standing on the field again, it's very easy to tell on the TV, looking almost like a bird's eye view down. Okay, yeah, that's kind of about ten meters, fifteen meters, thirty meters, whatever it is. But when you're standing on the ground and you've got an unusual angle of it, the way the umpires have. It's very hard to tell, but I think it goes back to it's, it's more the way in which um, some weeks they seem to be really hot on that rule and other weeks they seem to be really... Yeah. Um, and generally, the, the ones that I find that they pay it a lot, um, there's two types of kicks that they pay it a lot. It's either the short 14, 15 metre kick um, in your back line, like from, your, from the kick out, they pay that a lot play on. Or the 15 meter kick going inside a shallow entry inside 50. They're the two that I notice a lot that they pay play on. Um, Be consistent. But, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> we'll never uh, get consistency. There's so many grey areas, and there's so we so many rules rely on umpires. Um, 
it's not there are no hard and fast rules. So a lot of it's just their interpretation of the rules or their interpretation of the grey areas. Um, I think those two examples, you know, the advantage rule and the 15 metre, you know, kick rule, that, that would be lovely to get them consistent. But I think the number one for me and for most fans, and it's integral to the, the sport, is holding the ball, you know, prior opportunity, incorrect disposal. That, that whole, it's an absolute mess at the moment. And the fact that they changed the, um, the way that the umpires weren't going to judge it after Clarko had a sook in about round six or seven, it was an absolute disgrace because it makes it harder for umpires as well. But I think that, you know, the tackle versus the tackley, if you like, the tackler versus the tackley relationship is probably the most integral to the sport just about. And they've just got to get that right. I mean, how many times, you know, you watch, you've been watching the sport all your life. There's a, you know, the umpire blows his whistle for a, you know, a contested situation and the players and the fans at home are all sitting there going, well, I don't know whose free kick it is. It's insane. Yeah, look, it's not a perfect game, that's for sure. There's uh, there's stuff that needs needs work, and maybe the umps need to go away and watch some vision over the off season and and get it right because at the moment the consistency isn't there, and I think that's the consistent theme. Pardon the, mm. well, it's not a pun, but you know, it's it, the consistency is what we ask for as fans, and and getting it as good as we can, uh, that's what we need to aim for. Um, hey, we've got room for we've got time for one quick Ask Champion data question that came through on Twitter, uh, Christian. Uh, this is coming from Adam Presser. He's interested to see the impact of shorter quarters directly on scores. Is there any chance you could release stats on what percentage of scores happened in the last fifth of 2019's quarters versus the last fifth of each 2020 game? So I guess talking a bit, a bit about what we talked about last week about red zone scoring, but um, more so the direct impact on scores. Yeah, so again, we've sort of covered this before. I haven't, I haven't got it quite as breakdown he was after in terms of the last fifth and things but again just broken it down by five minutes so zero to five minutes five to ten minutes ten to fifteen again this we really didn't have the countdown clock fed into our system till about 2018 i believe so again all about all of our stuff's been you know based on counting up sort of time uh from our capture but again yeah the, the clear example is it's a, a lot more scoring earlier in quarters so um, about 38% of the scores being kicked in the first 10 minutes of quarters this year. Um, previously, the last four or five years, going back about 34, 33% of scores were kicked after the 20 minute mark in previous quarters. So, um, and it's, again, you can extend that out to the match. We're seeing a lot more, you know, more um, scoring in first quarters than there are in last quarters in most games. So uh, shorter games, again, probably, uh, coaching directive and just the way the team is playing. The ones that can get out early, jump out early, either in matches or in quarters, are probably yeah, uh, happy to slow the rest of the, the game or the quarter down to um, slow down scoring. And it's, yeah, teams that can jump out of the blocks early are getting um, the most help this year. There you go. So I guess teams like Collingwood, even though they're, they've been hot early and then they can shut it down later, and as we talked about their Dow defence, um, probably not ideal that they just shut down completely after quarter time, <laughs> as they have done for parts of this year. But um, it seems to be the way to do it is, is score heavily early and then sort of lock it down if you can. Yeah, it seems to be the trend this year. All right, uh, let's move on to justified hype or hyperbole, uh, the segment where I'll say a statement to you guys. You guys tell me whether... The hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. We've got to whip through these because we're running out of time. Jake, Lockie Neal is a Brownlow lock. He's not a lock. He's the favourite, but he's not a lock. Um, I think we spoke about Travis Boak last week. Uh, he's probably the closest challenger. Probably needs a probably needs the maximum in round 18. But uh, yeah, look, Lockie Neal probably will win, but he's 
hasn't quite got it yet. Christian, do the stats point to Lockie Neal having that medal around his, his neck at the end of the season? Yeah, so, yeah, I think I last I saw on the Prowler predictor, which I sort of don't check heavily every week. But um, I think, yeah, Lockie Neal we had up there with Travis Boke. And uh, I think, again, Nat Fife's always one that sort of always comes up high in votes because we've sort of got what we call, it's, it's called umpire bias, but it's got nothing to do with umpire bias. Sort of, you know, if you are, how often if you are in the top five or six of certain stats do the umpires vote for you? And that five usually, you know, just needs to be sort of the top five or six best player on the ground to get two or three votes usually. So he's always up there. Um, yeah, but again, um, one thing about the brown line, I don't think, uh, I think we predicted it once or twice in out of 10 out of all of them. So uh, probably don't back out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Neil, we touched on it earlier, but Worstfold's press conference on the weekend was the most worrying thing about Essendon's dismal season. It was super worrying. I'd be more worried about the, the list than I was. I didn't like Worstfold's comments, but he's only got one more game in charge and then he can wash his hands, you know, move on to whatever his next challenge is. If I was an Essendon fan, I'd be more worried about the list um, and the discrepancies between their best players and their, and their worst Jake, the Crows won't finish on the bottom of the ladder. Could this hype be justified? Uh, it'd be a great story if they got off the bottom. I was saying before the um, before we started, I don't think a team has ever uh, gone loss, 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 and then just won their last four games. So it would be a, an impressive story. But uh, you know, coming up against Richmond, it's very hard to see them. Winning well, it. they don't need to win. They could they could lose by five points, and North could would have to lose to West Coast by about sixty or seventy, and they could still swap. That's plausible. There's a, there, there, yeah, there's a plausible way they can do it. Why did I think North had an extra win? Uh, I mean, it's possible, but who knows? I I I would think Richmond would win by more than five points. I think Richmond will win by a decent margin, uh, but who knows? Right. You never know. You never know. Jeez. That's why we watch. Get off the fence. Uh, and I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll stick with you on this last one again, Jake. Jordan Goey is Collingwood's most important player. We spoke about his four goals last night before. That's justified height. Um, and Collingwood's, there's probably no team that has more A graders than Collingwood, particularly through the midfield. They've got a lot of stars when they're all there. But I think the the, the big difference is he's the, he's the guy that can kick four goals, five goals. You know, his last two games, he's kicked nine goals. Uh, probably could have kicked six last night against the Suns. And, you know, if, if a player like Pendlebury or Trelaw or Adams goes out of the midfield, I think they can cover, um, as they have done throughout the year for the most part. But they, they just can't cover Dugowie. And they look a whole lot more dangerous and dynamic when he's in the forward line. And as Christian said before, pretty much every time he touched the ball, he's having a shot at goal. He's so dangerous. He's... You know, people will disagree, but when he's on, he's he's at he's like a Dustin Martin type player uh, in their forward line. He's so dangerous. So, uh, yeah, I think he is their most important player. Fair enough, fellas. Uh, thanks for joining us again this week. We're going to wrap it up there. Don't forget, everyone at home, to get your footy tips in uh, for the last round of footy. If your competitions do end at the home and away season, this is your last chance to sneak up a couple of spots on the ladder. Uh, So get your tips in, Footy Tips app or ESPN Footy Tips uh, on Google. Just find the the link there. Uh, Guys, thanks for joining me, as I said, and we will speak to you all in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.